Remember to check out our Sunday School video for today. The topic is joy. Also, I wanted to make sure everybody knows about an event that we're having at the church building. It's called Carols and Coco. Uh, the idea is this is going to take the place of our annual Christmas party, and it's going to be December the 20th at 2 p.m. at the church building. Now, this is going to be in a drive-in setting, so if you come to our, our drive-in services, it's going to be kind of like that. We'll park in the same area. You can get some, some hot cocoa on one side, and then you come to the other side, and then you'll be able to listen to some Christmas carols. Now, these Christmas carols are going to come from different families or individuals from our church um, who are, are wanting to sing uh, a Christmas song. You know, you're, you're welcome to sing only one if you'd like, or maybe two or three if you even want to do that. These songs, they don't have to be religious songs. Uh, this is just kind of a Christmas gathering like our usual Christmas party. So please uh, let me know if you would like to uh, sing a song. So I'm going to try to have kind of a program so that way we can have a little bit of an, an order to the event. Um, this is also an opportunity that maybe if, if you don't feel as comfortable singing a, a song uh, by yourself or with your family, um, you could possibly maybe even read a scripture um, or even uh, read a poem, something like that. You know, this could just be an opportunity for, for us as a church to come together. And I know that we have a, a lot of, especially of our, our younger members who have a lot of talent and they've been gifted in the area of being able to sing songs. This gives them an opportunity to be able to share that. Uh, with some of the other ones of our members and our other members to be able to appreciate that talent. So hopefully you'll be able to make that. And remember, it's December the 20th at 2 p.m. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Yeah. 
Tyrant with weapons to carnal affair. No tyrant our king but our father. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Our God, the most high God, doth rule in the kingdom of men. God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? God, can you hear me now? God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? I cry to you with all my power. Through the veil of Jesus' flesh, from this valley strewn with tears, I can climb up to the mountain of the Father. For he lives to hear the pleas from his children, worn and weak, as they come into his presence with their praise. God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? God, can you hear me now? God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? I cry to you with all my power. I can pray in Jesus' name for my will to be the same. For the Father wants to mold me in His image. For He knows what's best for me. If I'm bound or if I'm free, I can come into His presence with my praise. God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? God, can you hear me now? I know that God, you will hear, you will hear, you will hear me. You will heal me. You will hold me. Around this time of year, a lot of people tend to focus on Jesus's birth and how, you know, he came to this earth, which I'm not trying to, to uh, discourage anybody from doing that, because isn't it a wonderful thing for us to accept the fact that Jesus did come here? And the way that he came here to earth was that he was born uh, just like uh, regular humans. You know, he became a human. But, you know, I, I also think it's important to to think about what does that really mean? whenever our Lord comes to this earth. And so in this video, what I want us to do is take a look at a couple passages from the Old Testament and a couple passages from the New Testament, and I want us to see what does it actually look like when our Lord comes. Now, I'll tell you this, that there are so many passages, I mean, dozens of passages, probably even hundreds of passages in both the Old and New Testaments that talk about what our Lord would bring whenever he comes and what that's going to look like. And of course, we know it um, with uh, being Christians that we recognize that our Lord came uh, once as a human being, and he's going to return again. Now, his second coming is going to be very different from the first one. And you might notice that there can uh, maybe be a little bit of, of blurring of some of those comings in the passages that we're going to be looking at here uh, today. But as you look at the passages that talk about our Lord coming, another thing that uh, you, you might notice is 
that we're going to be focusing a lot on the positive aspects. I think it would be great for us to, to encourage one another with some of the positive things of what it would look like whenever our Lord comes. But I want you to recognize this all along, that even among these passages that we're going to be looking at, if you search around, even in some of the verses we're going to be looking at, but if you search some of the verses before them and some of the verses after them, what you will find is there's also kind of some negative things. And whether or not we believe our Lord coming is a positive or negative thing depends on our relationship to the Lord, doesn't it? I mean, think about that. If you are expecting and waiting and longing for the coming of the Lord, it's going to be great. It's going to be glorious, amazing. But if you're dreading that day, what is that day going to be like for you? I mean, obviously, you know that it's, it's not going to be a good day for everybody. And really, even the first day, whenever, you know, the first time that our Lord came, that wasn't always a positive thing for everybody because there were a lot of people who just chose to reject him. But let's take a look at some of these passages and let's see some of the positive things that we as followers of Christ can know about our Lord coming. The first passage that I want us to take a look at comes from John chapter 1. Now, maybe I go to this passage even uh, more often than what I should, but I, I think it's wonderful to understand the person of God, the importance of, of Jesus Christ coming here in the flesh. So in John chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about how the Word was God. The Word, it is God. It was with God. And then we read in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is describing Jesus Christ. This is describing Jesus who became flesh. He was God and he is God. He always, he always has been. But he became a human being. He made his dwelling place among us. But what did that look like? When our Lord came, his glory was seen glory of the one and only Son, this, this unique Son that Jesus Christ most certainly was. He came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. Those are all wonderful things connected with him. And notice there's even a little bit more wonderful things about Jesus Christ whenever he came. Verses 16 and 17, we read, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I hope that those of you who have been with us for our Wednesday evening uh, Bible studies on the book of Exodus, I hope that you can appreciate this even a little bit more because we've been looking at some of these different laws that they were given. And, uh, you know, if you've been doing some of your own reading as well in, in the book of Exodus or some of these other uh, books in the law of Moses, what we call, then you will recognize how great of a time period it is in which we live, that this law of Moses that has been fulfilled, Jesus Christ came and all of these things we can talk about in the present because Jesus Christ ha has done this. He came and he gave us grace. We have received this grace in place of the grace that already has been given. When you read the Old Testament, you find out God is a very gracious God. When you read the New Testament, you find out that we receive even more grace than, than what we had received before. And we can do this all through Jesus Christ and how important it is when our Lord came to earth as a human being. The law, it was given through Moses, and it was good. It was wonderful for a time. But now we live in a time whenever grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. Now, I've said that there's always a little bit of, of, of negative in these passages, and the negative part is, or at least kind of the, the warning, I guess I'll say it that way. The warning for us is we need to be people of this grace and this truth that has come from Jesus Christ. 
if we find ourselves opposed to this grace and opposed to this truth of Jesus Christ, then his coming is not going to be viewed from us as a good thing. But for we who are Christians, of course, this is a great thing. This is a wonderful thing. Perhaps the best story. I wouldn't even say perhaps. It is the best story that we will ever be able to have the pleasure of knowing and the pleasure of being able to proclaim to other people that Jesus Christ has come. He's given us this grace and he's given us this truth. Now I want us to look at a passage from the Old Testament and see some of that grace that was even talked about under the, the, the Old Testament. Let's look at Psalm 85. In Psalm 85, just, just listen to this, this language here. And, and on this slide, I know the words are kind of small, but I wanted to kind of put it all here uh, together. But I, I want you to notice some of these words that are, that are connected with our Lord coming and, and what that looks like whenever the Lord is in our midst. And this passage, I know it's a lot of words that I put um, you know, underlined here in this passage, but I want us to, to take notice of some of these. And just so as we read this, Notice what it would look like when our Lord is in our midst, or rather, what it does look like when the Lord is in our midst. Psalm 85, beginning in verse 1. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sin. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Now, obviously this passage is written from, from a perspective of someone who would be in the, the land of Israel and, and someone who is an Israelite and who is really longing for that day, you know, perhaps they live in a time whenever the Lord's presence isn't right there in their midst for whatever reason. And there was different times in history that, that the Lord's glory was kind of removed from Israel, that he kind of took a step back and let them sort of have their, their way uh, with things because they pushed him away. You know, the God that we serve is, is an amazing God. Whenever you push him away, he resists that for a time, but eventually he kind of turns us over to our own folly our own foolishness and he allows us to to let ourselves run things into the ground so to speak to a degree but notice what this person is longing for this person is is obviously somebody who loves god and he is longing for a time whenever things will be made right he's living in a time whenever there's there's difficulty and you know there, there's even some some questions about it but he notices what God has done in his midst. Let's kind of just, just take a look at some of these things that I've, I've underlined here. And you might even notice some things that I, I'm not going to draw our attention to as much uh, in, in this video here. But in verse 2, talking about the Lord, we find out that the Lord has forgiven the iniquity of people. He's covered these sins. I mean, isn't that wonderful to, to hear that? And of course, we who are reading this 
from the New Testament perspective, we see how uh, Jesus Christ ha has obviously, completely, fully, not only just covered our sins, but done away with our sins. He has forgiven our sins. It's verse 2 talks about. Verse 3, notice this one is talking about the wrath of God and kind of the desire for that wrath to be turned away. I mean, don't, don't we all want that? You know, we don't want the wrath of God, yet that is what we deserve. Because of our sinfulness, we deserve the wrath of God. But our God is so great that he has turned his fierce anger away. He has set aside his wrath. That's why in verse 4, we see that, it, that in order for, for us to accept this, that, that God is going to, to turn away his fierce wrath, and, and in order to, to receive these great blessings of God, there needs to be this restoration. Verse 4 is a cry of, of help. You know, restore us again. And it recognizes that God is our Savior. We need restoration. But we need also repentance. And repentance and restoration, those so oftentimes go hand in hand. And, and they do in this passage and they do in our lives as well. But we see this desire to for God to restore us again. For him to revive us. For us to be able to, to be with him and for him to be in our midst. Now that, that's very powerful whenever you understand the holiness of God. Because God is holy, and so oftentimes we are not. We, though, have been made holy because of what God has done on our behalf. We see in verse 7, what else has God done? He has shown his unfailing love. He has also granted salvation. I mean, isn't that wonderful? His unfailing love, it gives us salvation. Verse 8, he has promised peace to his people. That's why whenever Jesus is, is born, it was kind of a, a very prominent idea that the peace of the people was proclaimed at that time. And we've looked at that also recently, but it's so important to recognize that the peace was promised to the people of God. In verse 9, once again, his salvation is near. His glory may dwell in our land. And yes, that's talking about Israel specifically, but can't that also be talking about the land of, of Christians? Wherever that land might be, God's glory can dwell among us. Notice some of these other words that are connected with him. In verse 10, love and faithfulness are combined together. They meet together. But then notice these other two, and, and the language is described here. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. I mean, isn't it wonderful to start to, to see all these things? And whenever God comes, we see love and faithfulness. We see righteousness and peace. And even in the next verse, he's still talking about that faithfulness and that righteousness. Verse 12, we know that God is fully involved in things that are good, and he gives good things. Verse 13 brings up righteousness once again, that righteousness goes before him, and it is what prepares the way for his steps. You notice that in order for us to, to be people who welcome the presence of God, who welcome the glory of God, who welcome the person of God, or Jesus Christ for that matter, we need to be people who, who love righteousness and who are righteous people because that is what prepares the way for his steps. Another passage in the New Testament that tells us about our Lord coming and what that looks like comes from Mark chapter one. I love how Mark's gospel starts off because Mark doesn't, uh, well, he's not someone who beats around the bush. He goes right into the heart of his message. Verse one through four, Mark start, starts off and he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, 
prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is how Mark starts in. You know, with Mark, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, we don't get anything about how Jesus is born or, or, or anything at all like that. It's just Jesus is there. He's already, you know, Jesus, the Messiah, he's already an adult at the time that Mark starts his story. And he says, look, this is the beginning of the good news. You want to know this good news? This is it. It goes back to Isaiah, the prophet. And of course, it goes into other prophets as well. But Isaiah was one who prophesied about what's going to happen. There's going to be a messenger that comes before him. This messenger, as what's stated here in verse four, was John the Baptist. He came in the wilderness. He was this voice who was calling out, who was preparing the way for the Lord, who was making straight paths for him. And what was his message? He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, this goes hand in hand with all this passage that we were looking at before. God is holy whenever he comes into our midst. We have to recognize that holiness. We have to prepare for that holiness. And here, part of that preparing for that holiness in the New Testament times it deals with baptism. It deals with repentance. It deals with forgiveness of sins. All of these things have to take place and all of them do take place within one another. That whenever we are baptized, whenever we repent of, of our sinfulness, then we can receive this forgiveness of the sins. And then we can, can be in God's presence and God can be in our presence as well. And we can see what it looks like when our Lord comes. And I want us to go back and maybe notice a few more things that Isaiah the prophet talked about whenever God is in our midst. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. As the other Old Testament passage, I've, I've tried to draw our attention to a few of these different phrases. And of course, there's even more than just what some of these phrases that I've drawn our attention to. But these passages, it, it talks about our Lord coming in and what that would include, what that looks like. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse one. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is our God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Notice this image that is described here. Yes, this is the passage that is, is quoted as the beginning of the gospel, the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what Mark introduces it as. 
He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40 right here. John the Baptist was that voice in the wilderness who made straight in the desert a highway for our God. But notice what else is described there. After that voice and that one who is preparing the way for the Lord, what does it look like? Well, you know, every low place is brought up. Every high place is brought down so that everything is level and that, that God, in this case, our King of Kings, that his pathway will be uh, one that's like a plane that he will just come across without any type of hindrance. And what does it look like whenever he comes? Verse five, it's the glory of the Lord. It will be revealed. And you know what? We read about that in the New Testament. We see that whenever Jesus Christ came, we saw his glory. We saw his grace. Of course, you and I don't get to see that with our, our own physical eyes, at least right now. Later, yes, but right now we don't get to see that with our physical eyes. But we get to see that through eyes of faith whenever we read the scripture. And it, and it even talks about right here about seeing this glory of the Lord and all people will see it together. Now notice that even some people who were alive during the time of Jesus refused to see his glory. They refused to see how great of a thing God was doing in their midst by sending Jesus Christ. That's part of this negative thing about when our God comes. But we who are willing to see with eyes of faith, we can see this glory of the Lord being revealed through Jesus Christ. We can see this grace. We can see this truth. We can see this righteousness. And then Isaiah contrasts how we ourselves are with how God is. And this is done in so many different ways and so many different passages in the Bible, but it's so important for us to remember this. You know, God is, is different than us. He is so much higher, so much greater. I mean, he is our creator. He is our sustainer. And Isaiah right here in verses seven and eight, he describes people like grass. And he says, the grass, it withers. The flowers, they fall. But the word of our God endures forever. See, he's not even just comparing us to God himself. He's just comparing us to the word of God. This word of God, it endures forever. The word of God is something that we need to be people who, who constantly are studying it, who constantly are relying upon that. That's what is going to sustain us. You know, Jesus, even one of the things that he preached was that it's, it's not by bread alone that we're going to be sustained, but it's on every word that comes from God. The word of God is what endures forever. The word of God, it is always going to remain. We need to be people who can recognize when our God is in our midst. Verse nine, that's what it talks about. It says, look, we need to all shout. We need to all be excited about this because here is your God. Some people recognize that when Jesus was in their midst. Some people refuse to do that. What about us though, today? Can we be people who will joyfully proclaim that Jesus is our God. Here is our God, and it's wonderful what he's done. Notice in verse 10 also, whenever our Lord comes, what's described with him, the sovereign Lord. That means there's no one else above him. There's no one that he has to answer to. He is the top. Our sovereign Lord, he comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. But then also this, this powerful image that's used in verse 10 it is also coupled with what we see in verse 11, that he takes care of his flock like a shepherd. I hope that you have already trusted in the Lord as your shepherd. I know that we love this, the beloved Psalm 23 that talks about how the Lord is our shepherd. 
and Jesus. In, in John chapter 10, he described himself as being the good shepherd and how he takes care of his sheep. That is our God. Our God is one who is so big and mighty and powerful, but he's also so tender that he cares for us like a shepherd would care for his sheep. This is our God. Whenever our God comes in our midst, sometimes he looks a little different than what we might have thought. A lot of people weren't expecting Jesus to look the way that he did. He just looked ordinary. A lot of people weren't really expecting that. But Jesus was, was truly something extraordinary. He truly still is someone who is extraordinary. He is our good shepherd. He is the one that we need to constantly follow because he will lead us everywhere where we need to go. I hope that describes your life right now. And if not, why not do something about it so that you can follow Jesus from this day forward? Help me.